Hey everyone, welcome to the Her Head in Films podcast. In this podcast, I share my personal thoughts and musings about art house and world cinema. If you're new to the podcast and you don't know who I am, my name is Caitlin. I'm a writer. I consider myself a dreamer. I love literature, art, poetry, and a huge passion in my life that's developed over the last few years is cinema. I love art house. I love world cinema. <clears throat> I don't have any kind of specialization or, or college degree in film studies. I'm more of a self-taught person who just watches a lot of films. I live in a rural area where there's not really any kind of cinephile culture. And so this podcast is an outlet for me. It's a way for me to share my thoughts, my feelings about all the films that I watch. If you're new to the podcast and you don't know what the title means, Her Head in Films, it comes from an email that I sent a friend a few years ago. I was really obsessively watching films at the time, and I said in that email that my head isn't in the clouds, my head is in films, and it was the perfect way to capture how I engage with cinema and how I'm always thinking about it, how it's a part of my life. Um... <clears throat> So that is the function of this podcast really is to just let me talk and let me ramble. This podcast does have a Patreon <clears throat> where listeners can support the podcast. I have different rewards that are available. You can get access to a mini podcast that I do, which is a bit shorter than this one. It's 10 to 20 minutes long and I talk about films and film related stuff. Um, I have all kinds of different rewards. You can find it at patreon.com slash herheadandfilms. One reward is that you can get a shout out in each episode. So I would like to briefly do my shout outs, um, to patrons, Lindsay, Olivia, Carolyn, Feminist Overlord, Michelle, and Jesse. Thank you so much for being patrons of the podcast. I really do appreciate it, and I'm really grateful for all of you who listen. Whether you're a first-time listener, I hope you will be a recurring listener. And those of you who are already regular listeners, thank you so much for supporting the podcast in, in whatever way that you can, and I really do appreciate it. One level on the Patreon is that you get to vote on certain things that I talk about in the podcast. And so for the film for this episode, this was voted on by some of the patrons. Um, and so they decided that they wanted me to review 20th Century Women by Mike Mills. And it came out last year, 2016. And <clears throat> so I was interested in this film, of course. Um, and so I'm really glad that I'm I'm reviewing it. I absolutely loved this film. I just finished it a few minutes ago. Sometimes I'll I'll take a little more time to prepare for a podcast, but sometimes I want to capture the immediate um love or the immediate just pleasure that I take in a film. And this is one of those. I just I want to capture how I feel about it in this moment because I absolutely adore this film. 
I've seen Mike Mills's work. I saw Beginners a few years ago, which is actually based on his father who came out um, as gay in, in his 70s. And like Beginners, 20th Century Women is a personal film for Mike Mills. I will refer you to an interview that Mike Mills did with the legendary and the wonderful Terry Gross. She has, um, for those of you who don't know Terry Gross, she has a, a radio show called Fresh Air, and she did an interview with Mills where he talks extensively about the personal aspect of 20th century women and how it really is based on his own life and about his mother. So why do I adore this film? What is this film about? So many things to talk about. Um, it's set in Santa Barbara, California in 1979. It stars Annette Bening, Greta Gerwig, Elf and Elf Fanning. And it's basically about Annette Benning. She is an older mother. She had her child when she was 40. She had a little boy and his name's Jamie. Well, by 1979, Jamie's 15 and she's 55. And she divorced his father. So she, and he's not really in the picture. It's interesting because the film starts with um, Annette and 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 just for the sake of being clear in the review, I'm just going to use the actress's real names instead of their names in the film. Because, you know, there's there's several characters going on, and I just think it's clearer to just say Annette Bening, Elle Fanning, Greta Gerwig. So I will say that. But the boy in the film is named Jamie. I had not seen him before as an actor, so I'm just going to use the, his name in the film. So Annette Benning and Jamie are at the grocery store and their car bursts into flames. It's this very dramatic opening. And Mike Mills in his interview with Terry Gross says that it sort of represented sort of how the father was not involved. She says the father gave her that car. And so it's this very dramatic message that there are not really men in this film. It's a basically a film of women. And so Annette and Jamie, they live in this really big house in Santa Barbara. It's really beautiful. Greta Gerwig's character is, is a tenant in the house. She has a room um, in the house. And then Elle Fanning's character, um, her name's Julia for the record, and Greta Gerwig plays Abby. And, um, so Elle Fanning is a friend of Jamie's. They're very close. They do a lot of things together. He wants it to be more of a sexual relationship while she doesn't. So it's a very complicated sort of relationship. But this, the core of this film really is about Annette, Benning, and Jamie. And about the mother-son, the mother-child relationship. And how complicated it is. And... She is a single mother, and she's raising a young boy, and she's asking herself, how do I raise a good man? How do I raise him to be a good person and to treat women well? And it's something that she's grappling with throughout the film, I think. And this film is also about the generational I don't want to say divide, though it, you could say divide, but also the generational difference between people. 
Annette Benning's character was born in the 1920s. She she experienced the Depression. She went through World War II, where she wanted to be uh, an aviator. So she came of age at a very specific time. And the other women in the film have come of age at different times. Abby, um, Greta Gerwig's character, is in her late 20s. She was born in 1955. Um, she is into punk rock. She loves Susan Sontag. She takes photographs. She's sort of like a feminist artist, I would say. She's very interested in, in the women's movement that is starting to uh, pick up steam in the 1970s, obviously. Elle Fanning was born in 1962. Um, she's rebellious. She does drugs. She's She sleeps with boys. She's very open about her sexuality. She works at the mall. She likes to read books. So this is a film really about like the inner lives of women and the experiences that women go through. And they sort of all orbit around Jamie. You know, I guess Jamie is sort of the, I don't know, I don't think he's the central figure, but all of them are tied together through Jamie. Because Annette Benning, she's she's worrying, as I say, about how is she going to raise him without a father figure? How can she show him, teach him to treat women well, to be a good man? And she goes to Greta Gerwig, she goes to Elle Fanning, and she says, you know, help me raise him. You know, you know, tell him things about yourselves, tell him stories, you know, help help him grow into a better person. And um, so that's what they kind of do. And he has a different relationship with all these different women. His relationship with his mom is really complicated because she is, she hasn't remarried. She is alone at the time that the film takes place, which is 1979. And she's older. She's in her 50s. She's, you know, I think she's at that age where women do become invisible and women do, um, women can struggle, you know, especially if they are single. And, um, so his relationship with her is very complicated. Now his relationship with Greta Gerwig is very interesting. She's in her late twenties, as I say, into punk rock. She's very influential on Jamie. She introduces him to different bands, uh, especially punk rock, you know, all kinds of different people like the talking heads and, um, what else? I don't know. I didn't really know the music in the film because I don't listen to a lot of punk rock or anything like that. But um, she makes a mixtape for him. Something important she does is that she gives him a lot of feminist texts. Um, a lot of books written by women and women part of the women, women who are part of the feminist movement at the time books about female sexuality, about women's bodies, about, you know, Greta is, is what you would call a feminist for sure. And, and it's interesting that she gives him those books and, um, they sort of, I think they sort of open him up a little bit more to 
the female experience and what it's like for women. And I mean, I think that's what this, I feel like in other hands, this film could have become all about Jamie and about a young boy's coming of age. And it is about coming, his coming of age. But in his coming of age is his relationship with these women. And it's about those women's lives too. I mean, this is a film, and I love it. Like, I just, I love it so much. This is the kind of film that doesn't get made much anymore. It centers women. It talks about feminism. It talks about, it's about intimacy. It's about, like, everyday people. It's about trying to find a connection, trying to find who you are. It's... It's just, it's this beautiful little film. Like, I don't understand why it hasn't gotten an, uh, more attention. I think Annette Benning gives an amazing performance, as she always does, of course. Um, but this is a film you do not see often. Like, I cannot press upon you enough um, how special this film is. And, and it's also a personal film. And... It's interesting because it's narrated by both Annette Benning and Jamie and even Elle Fanning and Greta Gerwig and they all get in there narrating and it tells you what happens in 1979 but then it also tells you what happens 20 years from then and and what is going to happen to each character so it plays with time it it's uh, it's not like this, I mean, it, it unfolds in chronological time, I guess you could say, but it's more of like these little vignettes, really. It's just, it's about these like little moments in each of their lives. Like at one point, Jamie does this breathing game. It's like where you breathe and then someone squeezes your stomach or your diaphragm and he passes out for like half an hour and he's rushed to the ER and it's after that incident that she starts to think more about how she's going to raise him. And that's when she starts to think about having other people come in. And and it also made me think about parenting as more of a communal thing. When we have this idea about parenting that, oh, it's a, it's a mother and it's a father. And they raise the child. And I wonder sometimes if this isn't like incredibly limiting and you can see how that paradigm is used to deny people uh, the ability to adopt, like gay couples, for instance, or how that paradigm is used to define what family is. And I think this movie gives us a different example of what family can be, that family doesn't have to be a mother and a father. It can be a mother, her child, and a family friend, and it, it can be all kinds of different configure, configurations. And I really loved, I loved the communal aspect of this film. In a way, it felt very feminist to me. I myself these days have been thinking about how terrible the world is in a way. And I know other people would disagree. They would say, oh, we're living at a great time in history, you know. Um, I, I don't really believe that. I think we're facing a lot of issues right now, whether it's the rise of the right wing or climate change. 
it's a very difficult time and i start to wonder what are other possibilities for the world what are other way what what would a different world look like how could we rethink society and the way things are right now and so when i see something like this of of uh, this different way of parenting and this idea of these three women in a way raising him or, or influencing him or showing him how he can be a different person or he can I mean I think that's feminist in itself to think about how could we raise children differently in the world and you know as as someone who hasn't had much of a support network in my own life that was really beautiful to me this idea that these these people could come together and they they love Jamie and they want to share their own wisdom with him and their own experiences with him and this and in keeping with that idea of how difficult the world is right now this film is like a little capsule and and a little frozen moment of 1979 and the film itself says it's it's the time before Reagan. It's the time before the rise of neoliberalism, right? It's before HIV and AIDS, which will absolutely ravage a complete generation. I would call it a lost generation in a way. Um, you know, it will kill so many people. It's... It's before so many things that come in the 1980s and 90s. It's before the internet. It's, you know, it's before the rise of computers and all these technologies. And I don't want to say the film makes you nostalgic. I don't think Mills is trying to idealize that time or anything like that. But it is, it's, it's a year in which... Th the U.S. is on the cusp of something and really on the brink of the precipice a bit. You know, it's before Thatcher in England and Reagan over here. Um, so it's it's this very different world, right? And when I was watching it and thinking about how it captures 1979, 10 years before our I myself was born. I was born in 1989. Um, I thought about how films, unlike books even, just uh, no other art form I think can capture a time in the way that a film can. You know, a film can give you the fashion, it can give you the music, it can give you the architecture of a, of, a, of a moment in time, of a year, of an era, um, I would say the only thing that competes with it is music. That when a song, and, and music I think is even more powerful than film, in conjuring an era, or conjuring a year or a decade, but I would say film is pretty close. Um, visually, film can show you what, what a time in history looked like but film but um music is so crucial to this film all kinds of different you know rock music and especially punk rock and and Annette Benning's character the mother is struggling to understand the music that um that Jamie listens to because he's very into the counterculture and 
and the punk rock and she doesn't totally understand it you know the sex pistols and the ramones and and all of that and um she listens to some of his music and she i think she tries you know she does her best with it um but um but it, it's still hard for her it's that it's that whole generational divide right that generational gap that exists and um yeah and Greta Gerwig is crucial to that she's she's very punk rock in a way and she really introduces Jamie to all of that stuff and I just love how each of the women sort of have their own distinct personality and they have their own different influence on him and um I was also thinking about how these three women almost represent the three sort of life stages of, of a woman's life of with Elle Fanning you have the teenage years with Greta Gerwig you have like the the late 20s the 30s where you're I guess sort of trying to find yourself a bit and I'm I'm in that section right now and then you have Annette Benning in her 50s and you have these women going through very different experiences but at the same time some of their experiences um, are very relatable and I was thinking especially about Elle Fanning you know the her experimentation with drugs and with um, smoking she smokes a lot her relationship with boys having sex at one point she has a pregnancy scare um, it was interesting to think about my own teenage years and I had a very different teenage experience I didn't have the L fanning experience at all um, but I don't really want to go into that um, but it just it occurred to me how there are, it's just strange to think that so much of what we go through in life and that can be at any age really has already happened to so many other people it's like you know what what Elle Fanning's going through with boys and with her sexuality and her pregnancy scare and trying to figure out who she is or what Annette Benning's going through with her invisibility her sense of invisibility as an older woman um, these are things that other people have experienced and other people have felt and yet when we're living it we feel so lost in it it's very difficult for us to to deal with it I think and um one of the texts that Jamie reads one of the feminist books that Greta Gerwig gave him is about aging um, and he reads it to his mom thinking that maybe it's something that will resonate with her and she's sort of offended like she doesn't she doesn't like that he read it to her she's not really into the feminist movement it's very interesting Mike Mills talks about that in the Terry Gross interview how in many ways she was a feminist in some ways you know she's living this very unconventional life she wanted to be a aviator during World War two you would think that the feminist movement would resonate with her in some way but it doesn't 
she's not interested in in reading any of those books or or anything like that so um but it's just i don't think you know i think in another film these women could have been used as props they could have been used as a way for Jamie to learn things or Jamie to have revelations or Jamie to better himself. Um, and they were, they would just be used as a vehicle for his own self enrichment or, or self enlightenment. And they're not, they have their each distinct struggles and their own inner lives, whether it's Annette Benning dealing with aging, or it's Greta Gerwig who has just survived cervical cancer, and she's dealing with the fact that she may not be able to have children, um, or it's Elle Fanning navigating the minefield of, of her teenage years and and dealing with boys and, and the way that she's seen by boys, and... um they have their own stories and they have moments where they push back against Jamie like Annette Benning getting upset when he reads that um that book to her about aging women and saying you know why are you reading this to me or or when he wants her to open up or he wants her to tell things about herself and she's from another generation where you don't open up you don't talk in that personal way and she withholds she she refuses to do that or Elle Fanning's character Jamie wants to have sex with her Jamie wants to have a romantic sexual relationship with her and she doesn't want to do that and he he can get insistent at times or he can get a bit a bit jerky I guess you could say about it a bit like a jerk a little bit and and demanding that from her or wanting that from her and she has to keep saying you know i don't want that so he might read these feminist books but that doesn't mean that he hasn't been socialized as a man and as a male in our society and that he might have those same sense that same sense of entitlement that same sense of you know i want to be with you this i'm not saying he forces her or anything but he he comes back to it over and over again when she has made it very clear that that's not what she's interested in. And she pushes back against him and says, you know, I'm not, I'm not quoting her verbatim or anything, but she's saying, you think you are better than other men when in some ways you still act like other men. And there's this moment between him and him and his mother, Annette Benning, and, and, um, he says something like, well, I'm not all men. She's talking, she's talking to him. She's saying something about how men are. And he's like, well, I'm not all men. And she's like, yeah, in a way you are. And in a way you're not, you know, how, when women interact with men, they deal with them on two levels. They deal with them on the individual level that here is a man in front of you. And he is an individual with his own unique life experiences, his own personality, he can be tender, he can be understanding, you know, but he's also a product of our patriarchal and sexist misogynistic culture. And that is part of him. And he may want to deny it. He may want to say, I'm not like all men, or I'm not like this, or I'm not like that. But none of us have escaped gender socialization. None of us. 
not women and not men. We are all a product of our society. And so the struggle for Annette Benning is, you know, how do I raise this young man to be a good man and to be good to women? How do I do that? She thinks that she can do that through enlisting the help of Elle Fanning and Greta Gerwig, but it gets complicated and it gets difficult. And I think she loses sight of that intimate connection with him. And he has this sense that she can't handle him on her own, that she has to bring in all these other people. And he finds that kind of help uh, hurtful. So on several levels, this film is about the mother-son relationship, but it's also the about the relationship between men and women and and that gap that can exist there and that divide that can exist, exist there. Um, so it's just, uh, it's this amazing film. And I sort of put off watching it um, because I just, I've been watching other things and, and then I was like, well, I gotta watch this film because I, I said I was going to review it for the podcast and I was going to watch maybe half of it. It's like a two hour film. I was going to do half one night, half another night because sometimes my attention span is terrible and I just ended up watching it all in one go. I watched it in one night. I just, it pulled me in. It's so just beautifully written. It's so tender. It's so um, honest in its portrayal of people and in, in, in human interaction and in all kinds of things from aging to sexuality to coming of age. And like I said, it captures... It captures the world before certain catastrophes happened, you know, before Reagan and neoliberalism and and AIDS and HIV. And it captures the world in that little sliver of time, 1979, when Jimmy Carter was in power. And it shows a speech that Jimmy Carter did that was incredible and so prescient, where he talks about how we're too um, obsessed with consumerism and buying things and I mean it's really amazing that he did that speech in 1979 so this film it captures this little microcosm of Jamie and, and these women in his life and then it also it captures the macro in terms of what was going on in the culture the music the fashion the the politics, all of that stuff. And so I think this film works on so many different levels and it's just so rich. It's so well written. It was actually nominated for Best Original Screenplay at the Academy Awards this year. It didn't win. But I loved... It meanders a bit. It's a bit of a meandering film in the best possible way. I don't say that in a pejorative way. It's just about these little incidents, you know, that happen and these conversations and these moments like when Jamie goes with Greta Gerwig to the doctor um, so that she can, so that she knows if, if the cancer is gone, the cervical cancer, it's sort of like a checkup for her. Or when him and Elf, when Jamie and Elle Fanning go to the coast, the California coast together, or when they go to a club and they dance or 
and Billy Crudup is in the film. He um he sort of works on Annette Benning's house and does construction and stuff and he also likes to do pottery. And there's really this really great scene where Billy Crudup and, and Annette Benning they go in while Jamie's gone, they go into his room and they're putting his records on because Annette Benning wants to try to understand this punk rock music that he's listening to. And so they listen to the music and, and so they're dancing to it and stuff. And it's just, it's it's like this constellation of these beautiful moments. And what gives them so much more power at times is that, like I say, it tells us the future. It tells us what happens in the future. What happens to Annette Benning? What happens to Greta? What happens to Elf Banning? So it's this moment in time that is for that is preserved and and that will that's gone, you know it, it's gone, you know when we think back to moments in our childhood or moments when we were teenagers, when our parents were young, when we were young, when you know when you're in your teenage years, everything feels possible. You feel like your life is gonna go somewhere and. Was it Greta Gerwig that says it in the film? I think it is. She says something like, whatever you think is going to happen in your life, it's not going to happen. What, or what, however you think your life is going to go, that's not how it's going to go. And you need to know that. And this film really captures this moment in life when things feel possible. I mean, I'm not saying I necessarily felt that as a teenager. But I guess when you look back, you think, well, maybe I had more hope than I do now um, and things had a beauty to them and of course nostalgia does this it completely sort of changes how you feel about things and but um, it just like I said it captures this moment I think in a lot of our lives when we're teenagers and we're young and 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 we do think that our life is going to go somewhere or we think we think anything is possible and and we also you know it's before adulthood it's before jobs it's before all the stress that comes with life and it's it's just that time in our life when when things feel very possible for us and things are good you know and and um i think that i think the film captures that in the context of 1979 and what was happening at that time so it's just uh i loved it i loved watching it like i said i was going to do like half of it and i was like you know what no i'm going to keep watching this because i enjoyed it so much and it it made me cry at times like just the beauty and the you know what, in this day and age, I know irony is big, and everybody loves to be ironic, and everybody loves to be distant, and to not be emotional, and to not wear their heart on their sleeves, and to not be sentimental, and whatever, but I love a film that's sincere, I love a film that's genuine, I love a film that, that tries to say something, or that maybe gets a little sentimental, I don't even like to say sentimental, I think it's a pejorative. I think people use it in, in, to put things down. You know, I remember I was reading a book with someone, and it was Catherine Mansfield, who I love. 
I adore Catherine Mansfield and I wish she was more famous and I wish there was a biopic about her too. Um, I'm just going to say that. And he, he said her stories were sentimental and I was so offended by that. I was like, her stories are not sentimental. And even if they are, they're, they're beautiful. They're, they're just wonderful. They're so, I mean, what does sentimental even mean? I don't know. It's often used against women, right? So I, I I like things like this that are just real and are genuine and sincere and and personal. Like I said, Mike Mills said this was a very, very personal film for him. And um, I would watch this film, 20th Century Women. It's on Amazon Prime if you use that. And then I would go and I would... I would read or listen to the interview that Terry Gross did with Mike Mills to get a little bit of background and a little bit of, uh, you know, personal insight into why he did the film. I mean, I, I don't I don't understand why more people are not talking about this film. I think it's that good. And I think if you like just heartfelt, warm, genuine, um, authentic films and Films about people and relationships and the messy, messy, complicated, you know, complexities of life. I think that you would love this film. I really do. And finally, I just want to talk a little bit about somebody that we lost this week, which is Jeanne Moreau, who was a French actress, a huge legend, a huge icon. One of my all-time favorite actresses, um, I started getting into art house cinema around 2011. And when I started getting into art house film, one of the first films I saw was Jules and Jim by Francois Truffaut. And Jeanne Moreau is famous for that film. It's, it's one of her most famous films. And... I watched Louis Miles' Elevator, Elevator to the Gallows, another film that she was in. I watched The Lovers, which is also by Louis Mao. Um, I watched La Noche, which is by Michelangelo Antonioni. All of these films, so crucial to my own art house cinema education, and they all starred the luminous, the brilliant, the earthy Jeanne Moreau. And she was a titan of French cinema. There could not be a new wave without Jeanne Moreau. Oh, I also love her in Jacques Demy's um, Bay of Angels, which is really wonderful, where she plays a gambling, a gambling addict. It's amazing. She was a raw actress. She, I, I put her in in my trifecta with Anna Karina. And Monica Vitti. These three women are so crucial to art house cinema. Karina was with um, Jean-Luc Godard. And then Monica Vitti was with Antonioni. They're the faces of art house cinema, I would argue. And while the directors tend to get all the credit, the auteurs, as they say, those films, whether we're talking about Jules and Jim or we're talking about... Vivre Sa Vie um, by Godard, or we're talking about La Ventura, um, 
those films would not be what they are without the contributions of those magnificent actresses. And I don't think that gets talked about enough. These women are sort of referred to as muses, and it's they're sort of given this this sort of small credit. But they are integral to the power, to the... Um, to the beauty of those films and those films would not be what they are without these women and they deserve more credit and they deserve more attention and Jeanne Moreau was a director in her own right she directed several films she had a long um, I think she had a long uh, relationship with uh, Marguerite Duras the French writer and French director as well she um she directed quite a few films. I haven't been able to see them yet, but I definitely want to. I mean, Jeanne Moreau worked with everyone, and everyone wanted to work with her. They knew what she could do. They knew um, the the beauty of her acting. And I would say, you know, Karina was sweet and delightful and playful on screen. And I think Monica Vitti was very mysterious and very enigmatic I think for me Moreau is earthy she's she is she has a lot of depth and she did some magnificent performances I think one of my favorites really is elevator to the gallows where there's this amazing amazing scene of her just walking in the rain and she's thinking of her lover and longing for her lover and her face just says it all. And she was a woman who loved life. She loved cinema. She was sensual and confident. And she represented for me sort of a very strong, sensual, powerful woman in a lot of her roles. Um, she had amazing presence. She just... Like I say, she was very earthy. She was very just, I don't even know how to put it into words. Her her films and her performances will live forever as long as film lasts, you know. And, and the films that she was in mean a lot to me. They were the first films that I really started to just get into our house cinema. So Jules and Jim and The Lovers and and especially Elevator to the Gallows, or The Diary of a Chambermaid, or, so, she worked with everyone, you know, Orson Welles, Francois Truffaut, I mean, she was, she was everywhere, everyone loved her, she was 89, she died on, um, July 31st, 2017, she was born in 1928, and she's just, She's a titan. It's like, how can you not talk about her? She's important. She's essential. Um, when, the day she died, it was the news was released that Sam Shepard passed away. And so his death got a lot of attention, especially here in the U.S. And I didn't hear as much about Jeanne Moreau, except through other cinephiles and other accounts on social media. But those of us who love cinema, those of us who are passionate about cinema, we know Jeanne Moreau, and we mourn Jeanne Moreau, and 
and many of us fell in love with cinema through her films and through her performances and I just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge her and to recognize her and to say that her life was important and her work was important and that she is deeply deeply mourned at least by me and that she will be missed and that I'm very grateful for what she contributed to this world so that's all I'm gonna say um Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. Until next time, keep watching great films. Bye for now.